Thank you, Lord. We love you. I thank you for the truth of the scripture coming alive to us this morning. Jesus, we look to you. We look to you to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches, saying to us in this hour, I'm asking you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation on us today. Would you come with understanding? Come with knowledge and insight into your very heart. And I pray that we would grow ever closer to you through coming to comprehend what the Word says about your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, the way you think and feel toward us. So God, I'm asking even now, come. Come by your Spirit. Lord, I pray. Let me speak as an oracle. Stand with me here and hold my hand. Come, Holy Spirit. Good. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, find with me in your Bible, Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> We're going to start a new series uh, this morning uh, entitled Glory in Tribulations. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Glory in Tribulations. And so we're going to take several weeks to kind of unpack uh, what we have here. Uh, just to be quite honest with you, I, I began a, a few weeks ago doing a study on the book of Romans. And you know how you know when, uh, I mean, you know when the scripture is alive, it just sort of pops off the page to you. And these first five verses of Romans 5 just popped off the page to me. And uh, I began to realize that there are some incredibly important uh, foundational nuggets of Christianity right there in Romans 5, and it's pur purposeful. I'll give you some background in a minute. But I want to say this. I feel like the uh, summary statements, which is really what he's doing in these first five verses of Romans 5, the summary statements that Paul is making here are critical to uh, the core of Christianity and simultaneously, they are, uh, I think, taught, uh, we, we teach opposite truths. We don't teach these truths. We teach opposite truths many, many times in, in Western uh, Christianity. And, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I was just thinking, I was taking inventory of my own heart and my journey with the Lord. And I'm thinking, you know, the last six or eight years, I've been on a continual journey I like to use this phrase, journey of discovery, where you just, you know, you're going in God and God continues to shine light on things. And all of a sudden, what looked a certain way, the light hits it and you go, whoa, that looks a completely different way. And uh, I am in process on so many different points. But I realized I always I, I say that often. I go, you know, this is something that kind of believed it this way a long time. And but no, here's what the scriptures actually say. I kind of say that often. Well, this is kind of one of those uh, messages where the scriptures are pretty clear a certain direction, but I think a lot of the teaching that, that I'm used to uh, has kind of painted things a completely opposite way. So uh, we're going to take a few weeks. We're going to go through these, uh, these summary statements. I find in Romans 5, 1 through 5, I find 10 summary statements just in those five verses that Paul's making. And uh, I won't go through them uh, right now and... and lay them all out for you, but I will move through this, this, uh, little cluster of verses. And I'm just going to take this morning and I'm going to give you an overview of where we're heading for the next few weeks. 
But uh, here's what's going on. Let me give you the background. The book of Romans, it's real important that you actually get the book of Romans in context and you understand why he even wrote to this church in Rome. Uh, number one, Paul had never visited the church at Rome. He didn't have specific apostolic authority over this church. Uh, and so he's writing a church that he knows of, that he loves, and that he knows of some of the believers there, but he's never had a first-hand relationship with them. And so he's writing them, and here's why. He's trying to uh, uh, stop a major schism that's taken place in the church. And here's what happened. From the time of Pentecost up until the time of Claudius uh, Caesar, the church at Rome was predominantly uh, Hebrew, predominantly Jewish. And Acts 18 tells us that uh, Emperor Claudius came and removed and, and all the Jews from Rome, kicked them all out. And so what happens is the church ends up becoming uh, completely a Gentile church. Several years later, under Nero, the Jews are allowed back into Rome. And so many of those that were displaced, they join again the church at Rome. But what happens is the Gentile believers that are there in Rome, don't they don't receive the Jews that are coming back. And so you have a major schism in the church. It's pulling the church apart. It's, over, it's really over racial reconciliation, if you can think of it in those terms. They're having a massive issue uh, divided over Jew and Gentile. And so Paul is writing a letter and he's, he's laying out the foundational truths of Christianity to level the playing field to get the Gentiles off of their high horse so that they'll embrace the Jews again back into fellowship in the church in Rome. That's what's going on there. He's, he's trying to uh, thwart this schism that's threatening to completely dis- divide and destroy the church. So, chapter 1, he says... The gospel that I preach, it's powerful and it saves everybody. It's the power of God and the salvation of the Jew first and of the Greek. So he lays that out in chapter 1. Chapter 2, he says, everybody is deserving of the judgment of God. God's righteous judgment is revealed against sin and everybody deserves it. And he goes on and in chapter 3, he, he uh, disqualifies everybody from, from receiving mercy. He says, all have sinned. There's none righteous. There's none that seeks God. And then he goes on and he says, nobody can boast about who they are in God because nobody deserves salvation. And then he says this, but righteousness comes on the basis of faith. Because this is how you enter into the promises of God. It's not by virtue of your birth, your nationality, It's by faith. And he goes, and let me give you who the father of faith is. Chapter 4, Abraham. And he goes, this is how we come into faith in Christ. And we receive forgiveness and uh, sanctification and justification. Big words. And so in chapter 5 now, what he's doing is this. He starts it with therefore. And in those first five verses, he tells us what salvation and what justification the results of it are what the results of it are in our lives in other words what this great salvation that we've received what it actually affords us the uh, kind of people that it turns us into that's the idea what it what it brings to us and uh 
I just got to be honest with you. When I began to study this, it was it was similar. Just the, the feeling was similar to when I first studied the Sermon on the Mount. Because when I first studied the Sermon on the Mount, I went, okay, blessed are the poor in spirit. Amen. I know that phrase. Who's What's that mean? You know, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. I was going, okay, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And all of them had to be redefined to me. And then once I actually understood what they meant, biblically, I realized, my goodness, I don't look like any of these. And these are the core values of the kingdom of God. I had a very similar, <laughs> something happened to me, not at that level, with these verses. And I think these verses, as I said, they're the summary statements of what being justified by faith in Christ, what it actually brings us, what it actually turns us into. And so I want to take a few weeks. I want to work through this. It's pretty amazing the the way he summarizes it. And I believe it's a, I think it's an important word for us. I think it's an important word for our city. I I feel like I've had a little traffic just in my soul. And what I mean by that is I can sense the enemy doesn't like what I'm going to say. That's okay. I like saying stuff the enemy doesn't like. Because I'm not just preaching to people. I'm preaching to principalities and powers. And we're proclaiming truths that actually shift things in the atmosphere. That was what Paul's, one of Paul's main mechanisms of spiritual warfare. But I think this is an important, uh, these are important thoughts that we need to get across there. So I want to work through these verses. Let's read through them. And uh, I'll just work through it. I'm going to give you the overview. And then what we'll do is go week by week. We'll, we'll take one of those action phrases and sort of break it down. Does that sound okay? All right, good. Here we go. Verse 1. Chapter 5 of Romans, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, or the NAS, New American Standard says, proven character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. There... (laughs) There is so much in these verses. There's such so many rich nuggets. Let me just begin to work through it for us. The first phrase I want to just touch on is that very first line. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Justified by faith. That is a phrase or a term, justified is a term I've heard in my Christianity ever since I've been saved. Something like 20 years now. And the thing about it is, I'm pretty sure if I were to pass out a test and I just said, okay, everybody write down what does justified mean? I'm pretty sure we would get as many different definitions as we have people in the room. Now, this uh, word justified is a seriously important term to our Christianity but we kind of just let it gloss, we just let it go past us. We kind of gloss over it. It's one of those religious terms. It means something good. It's good for us. We're that by faith, justified by faith. That sounds good. But I, I'm not really certain that we understand the core of what that really means. I remember years ago hearing a Baptist preacher. He said, justified means it's just as if I'd never sinned. I went, that sounds good. What's that mean? And uh, 
and have literally have lived uh, a long time in Christianity without any really working understanding of this term. So I studied it. This term, uh, and I'm going to give you a whole message on it, so I don't want to spend too much time just in this one, but this term, it's a term that was used in the Roman courts of law. He's writing to the church at Rome, and he's using a term that they were familiar with to describe what's happened in Christ to us. So it's a term that they would use in the Roman courts of law. And what it, what it was, was that they, they, this would be the proclamation over the person who was on trial. And rather than being found guilty, they were acquitted. So this term, justified, is being acquitted. Literally, that's what it means, to be acquitted. To be, to be found innocent. To be found innocent. So I'm staring at that. I go, my God, does that... Having been found innocent by faith. Really? Like that's what it means? Innocent? That's what it means. In fact, that's the whole point of Romans 4. And it's it's actually the, the, I mean, just the central truth of Paul's gospel. That in Christ we're all found innocent. What it means is this. You and I are acquainted with the, the idea of forgiveness. You and I understand forgiveness. Somebody does you wrong, you're supposed to forgive them. We've done God wrong, he's forgiven us. In forgiveness, just in a generic sense, there's the knowledge of the thing done wrong. You know, somebody does you wrong or you do somebody wrong and you come back and you go, man, I am so sorry. They go, hey, I forgive you. And you still feel that, like, ouch, like I, I'm kind of dorky. I'm sorry I did that. They go, no, I totally forgive you. And you're like, okay, okay. And you walk away going, man, can't believe I did that. And they're like, you're forgiven. Okay, okay, okay. And you still have the knowledge of the goofy thing you did, right? Well, forgiveness is not, see, in Christ, forgiveness is not where it ends. Forgiveness connects you to this thing called justified. Forgiveness, the fact that God forgives us, that's amazing. Like, it would be good enough. But he doesn't stop with forgiveness. He brings it to justified. Which the, the, the proclamation of justified over you and I has so many amazing implications. But it's just this. He goes, no, no, no. Not only do I forgive you, I'm actually saying you never did it. No, but I know I, no, he goes, no, no, no. Innocent. How could it be when I'm real, (laughs) I really understand my own brokenness, but you're saying innocent? He goes, totally innocent. Go free. And he's not trying to wave in front of us the fact that we've done all this wrong. He's just proclaiming it over us. Free. Innocent. Justified. Do you understand your innocence before God? That's the, the foundational truth of the gospel is that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ who knew no sin, he became sin that we would become the righteousness of God. Innocent. Innocent. 
It's the proclamation over us. Beloved, when you understand that the Lord is not sort of holding your transgressions over you and sort of looking at you like, well, I forgave you, but you owe me. But he's just saying, no, you're innocent. That changes everything. I believe most Christians approach the Lord on the basis of forgiveness. They wouldn't say this about God, but suddenly in the back of their mind, they kind of feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm forgiven, but I owe God. I think we preach it like that. You owe him your life. You're, you know, we, we preach this shame thing on it. But I tell you what, when the truth of innocence hits your soul, that he proclaims you innocent, he sees you innocent, of course you want to abandon yourself to that God. That's the, that's the difference. We don't serve him trying to sort of make it up. We serve it because he made it up. You see me clean? Absolutely. What all the bad stuff? What bad stuff? You're innocent. That term justified, when the Romans heard that term, they fully comprehended what he was talking about because it's our, it's the same term. We use the term acquitted. They use this, this Greek term that said, you've been proclaimed innocent. I'm going to go into the, way much more the implications of that next week. So he starts off, he goes, Now, therefore, having been proclaimed innocent by faith, here's the results of that. (laughs) This is huge for us. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I was thinking about this just walking around the prayer room the last couple of weeks. You know, it's, it's, peace with God is the understanding that God doesn't have a problem with you. He does not have a problem with you. He's not sort of just going, man, all those things you've done, I'm just, I'm just ready to smash you. Don't step out of line because mm, he's not there. We show up to God and we go, hey, God, I'm so sorry. I, I know, man, I just, I've had these issues. And I, he goes, he, I mean, basically, he just goes, hey, it's cool. We don't have a problem. You and I have peace. You know, you and I, we have a hard time understanding what this is about because we think of the person that you got in the fight with. And then when you made up, you know, everybody said they were sorry, but you kind of walked away and you're kind of like, uh-huh, I know what that is. I, I, I know not to trust you again. I know how you do. He's not like that at all. This is the real one. You know when you've been in the fight and you really make up and you guys don't even think about the challenge you had before? This is that version. Peace with God. Beloved, can you imagine humanity completely estranged estranged from God, completely doomed to eternal death? The scripture calls us, we are at enmity with God. Jesus Christ comes and he makes peace. He makes peace. You got peace with God. There's no sort of like internal tremor in the heart of God where he's just sort of dissatisfied. He's at peace with you. Basically, I boiled it down like this in my mind. Whenever God thinks about me, he's happy. 
He's not sort of like, you know, oh, Billy, oh, yeah, that guy. Gosh, he's got issues. Got to get that guy some inner healing somehow. Angels, something, help that kid. Man, oh, my. Ah, driving extra grace required right there. He's not like that. He's like, I like that guy. I feel so good about him. Beloved, that's what he's saying to you. He says, it's peace. It's peace. Having been justified by faith, having been proclaimed innocent, it's all peace. It's all peace now. You don't have to work yourself back into God's good graces. That's what that means. Okay, this is flying over your head. You don't have to work yourself back into God's good graces. It's already peace. It's already peace. It's already peace. He thinks about you and he goes, yeah. Not, oh. We know these truths, but man, do they reside in us? Do they... Do they control our soul? Because to me, that statement, we have peace with God, that is colossal. You've proclaimed me innocent, and therefore, all the arguments, all the accusations, all the enmity, it's all gone, and it's just good? It's just good? Like, we're all good now? Yeah, we're all good now. Me and you are all good. We're all good. You know what I'm saying? That high five, hug you, bro, punch you in the shoulder, we're good. This is good. This is so good. No wonder they accused Paul of saying, just go on sinning. Because he preached such a lavish grace and entrance into the kingdom. They accused Paul of of not calling people to holiness. He says, and we've been accused of of saying you can just sin and there's no consequences for it. But the reason why they accuse him of that is because he said, you've been proclaimed innocent and you've got peace. And the point is, he was appealing to the heart of man to find themselves free in God and be compelled through gratitude rather than shame. Do Do you understand the difference? Being compelled through gratitude and love. Rather than through shame and trying to sort of work it off. You just work off your, your sin. You know, that there's a scripture that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we've kind of made that into work off your sin with fear and trembling. And that's, that's Paul's whole point. He goes, you can't work it off. It's not by works. That's, what he, that's the whole thing he says in, in, in Romans 4. He goes, you can't work hard enough. To gain this. It's by faith. Isn't that crazy? It hinges on whether or not you just believe it. It's by faith. You have peace. It's peace, beloved. It's peace with God. He's not full of angst and anger. He's not sort of on the edge of his seat ready to just blow up. It's all peace. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also, this is an interesting phrase, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. He actually gives us four things in that chapter that grace does for us. 
I'll just land them for you real fast while I'm thinking about it. We stand in grace. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We glory in tribulations, which is also, that, that word glory there is the same as rejoice. We glory in tribulations, and we also rejoice in God. He goes, you stand by grace, you rejoice in God's glory through grace, you rejoice in tribulations, and you rejoice in God through grace. The thing that's interesting to me about this phrase is he says, we have access by faith into this grace. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but it says we access grace by faith. Is that what it says? Access by faith into grace. Is that what it says? Well, that I'll just be honest with you. That means I've taught it incomplete for sure. Because the way I've taught it is this. I've taught grace as an inner resolve. You sense on the inside. You feel like, you know, all of a sudden, it may be hard, but on the inside, you have a desire to work righteousness. And that's, that's the evidence of grace in you is you have this inner resolve. But according to this, you access grace by faith. And so it's kind of like this. God tells you, here's what I want you to do. And you go, amen. And you feel that inner resolve. And you go, I'm going to do it. And you get about a third of the way and you're like, this is hard. (laughs) And then you go, wait, God said, yeah, I feel that. I still want to do it. And you keep going. You get about two thirds of the way and you go, I don't want to do this anymore. And you try to remember when God said it and you go, that was a bad anchovy pizza. That was not the Lord. I miss God. In fact, I don't even feel like I want to anymore. And then we say this, grace has lifted. Come on. Let's go, brother, I'm just not feeling the grace anymore. My want to has went. I'm done. Well, this says we access grace by faith. Now, the root word of faith is the same root word that's translated obedience. When Abraham obeyed God, that was accounted to him as righteousness, and that was reckoned to him as faith. I'm I'm pretty sure Abraham didn't feel like walking through the desert with his whole family, his whole clan, all his animals. The desert, the Middle Eastern desert? Where are you getting food? Where are you getting the water? Where's the shelter? Just come to a land, I'll show you, Abraham. Oh, yeah, you got to know this. I'll provide for you, and I'll protect you. Okay, those are good promises, but uh, we've got a bunch of people that need to drink, like, you know, eight cups a day. (laughs) And animals. I bet he felt really excited about it when he first had a few encounters. But what happens when he's 10 years in? And windstorms and sandstorms and marauding raiders. And do you think he wanted to the whole time? No, he had to access the grace to stand in the calling of God by faith. He had to say, you said it, okay. I don't feel it, but you said it. You know, the children of Israel, they just followed the cloud. When the cloud moved, that's when they knew to move. The glory cloud, it would cover them and they'd move, the glory cloud would get up and start moving. They'd follow the cloud and they'd stop. Sometimes we move before the cloud moves because we don't feel it anymore. And we say that's an evidence of the fact that grace has lifted. And I just want to propose to you this. 
If God has called you to do something, it's probably not going to be easy all the time. It's probably going to be challenging. And you're going to need faith just to access grace to stand in that place. To continue to obey what God called you to do to see it through to the end. That's what he's saying. Is this real? We also... (laughs) Also, we have access by faith into grace. You know what that means? It means when you don't feel it, grace is still available. Will you believe God's calling? Will you believe his direction? Will you believe his leading? And I just wonder, beloved, I just wonder how many times we bailed out because we didn't feel it. Come on. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just saying, I believe grace is available by faith. God, if you said this, I'm going to keep walking. You're going to have to lay the grace on me to stand because I don't have it. And he gives grace to the humble. The key is in grace that you're leaning on God because you know you can't. You can't do it. You can't even stand. He goes, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I can't even stand without his grace. I can't, I can't even, without grace, I am flat on my back. I am crumbled in a ball. I've got nothing. I can't do anything without grace. God, and that puts you in the position to be able to receive grace because God gives grace to the humble. Therefore, having been proclaimed innocent, you've got peace and access by faith into grace in order to stand. Because this is good stuff. Because I'm, I'm laying out, this is what Paul says, he goes, I'm laying out the implications of what this justified stuff means. And then he says, so it's access by faith into grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now that word rejoice, and in in, uh, verse 3, the word glory and tribulations, that's the same word in the Greek. Another way to say it is exalt. We get excited in hope of the glory of God. The prospects of the glory of God, the, the expectation of the glory of God. He goes, that makes me jump and shout and sing and spin. I rejoice in that idea. How many want the glory of God? Let's just see this. Amen, brother. What does that mean? (laughs) It's not talking, I promise you, right here, it's not talking about the power of God in a meeting. You know, we kind of, yeah, the glory of God, and, and we think it's about, you know, getting gold teeth or people getting blown up or mass revival or whatever. It's not what he's talking about. He goes, we rejoice in the expectation. That's what the word hope is, patient expectation. We rejoice because I get excited. I dance and sing and shout in the expectation of this, the glory of God. And what he's talking about is this. He's talking about living a lifestyle that regardless of what happens to you, God is glorified in the greatest measure. 
He goes, I rejoice in the hope that through my life, God would somehow be glorified. That's what he said. He goes, by life or by death, that he'd be glorified. He goes, in whatever life that I lead, whether I, he goes, whether I'm abased or whether I abound, he goes, I can do all through Christ who strengthens me. I actually love getting Philippians 4.13 in context. Because he says, whether I'm abased with nothing or whether I'm abounding, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? He goes, because I'm hoping in the glory of God. Beloved, most of our gospel proclamations are this. We're hoping in the glory of ourselves. We're hoping in our own blessing, prosperity, whatever, whatever. But God says, Paul says, the whole point of justification is you can rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And here's the point. No flesh will glory in his presence. There is a, a, uh, a massive trend in our proclamations that we try to glorify man and make God the big uh, Santa Claus whose whole job is to glorify us. And it's humanism. It's Christian humanism. The truth of the matter is this, beloved. We get to live lives that will glorify God in the highest measure. Now, whatever that means for my life and for your life, I want to exalt in that. I remember one time a friend of mine, he said to me, he goes, you know what? He said, uh, basically, I just want to tell people be, uh, that Jesus is the greatest shepherd in town. And I said, yeah, he is. He's the greatest shepherd in town. He goes, well, the thing is, if I'm all beat up and broken down and don't have any money and I'm sick, he goes, then that makes Jesus look bad. And I went, yeah, you're right, man. He goes, that's why God wants us healed and prosperous and blessed. And I believe that God blesses and heals and, and prospers his people. I totally believe that. But as I've thought about it, I don't necessarily believe that, that uh, the antithesis is true. I don't necessarily believe that if you're going through trials and challenges, that makes Jesus look bad. What I really think I believe now is that if I'm going through hard stuff and I actually act like a Christian, then Jesus is glorified. That's a sign that the kingdom has come in my life. Not just when I'm doing well, but when I'm going through hardships. So the question becomes this. Do we hope in the glory of God or do we hope in our own blessedness? Come on. Because much of our teaching and preaching is centered around our own blessing. And that's the key to Christian success. But ultimately, we've got to be people that say, do you understand that I've been proclaimed innocent and I've got peace and I have, I have by faith access to grace that enables me? He goes, and from there, I want to rejoice in this, that God will be glorified in my life by life or by death, by whatever life I lead, whether it's sufferings and imprisonments and, and beatings and persecutions 
whether it's blessedness and, and the ability to, to bless and help many, whether it's being a base or abounding, whatever life will glorify the Lord the most, I want to hope in the glory of God. The question is, are we able to unhook from our own hope in the glory of ourselves long enough to love the idea that God could be glorified even through my trial? Amen. Are you with me still? He goes, I'm rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. I want him to look good. He goes, regardless of what happens to me. Do you know what kind of peace lands on your life? When all of a sudden you go, I'm in it for you. Lord, I'm in it for you. And I like uh, what John Piper says. He said, the uh, greatest satisfaction of man is when God is the most glorified. When God is the most glorified, man is the most satisfied. Regardless of how it goes for us, that God would be glorified. Jesus is going to look great when his people love through persecution. When they bless through cursing. Come on. When they pray and they uphold and they stand through suffering. Jesus looks amazing. So we live rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. I want him to be glorified above everything else. Not just my own comfort. I don't want my own comfort. I want his glory. So, and he goes, and not only that. Not only that, because that's a big, <laughs> that's a big one to swallow, hoping in the glory of God. Not only that, he goes, but we also, let's take it up a notch, glory in tribulations. Let's just all say that together. One, two, three. Glory in tribulations. Yeah, let's just say it again. Glory in tribulations. Like, really? Did you know you have grace available by faith to glory in tribulations? I don't know, but when, when I read that phrase, glory in tribulations, it just, I just, I mean, it was one of those, I just stuck. Glory and tribulations, like glory, like exalt. That's the word, rejoice. Get happy and sing and jump up and down. It's, it's, it's Paul, I mean, you read Paul and you just go, are you kidding? He goes, yeah, I, he goes, I glory in weakness. I glory in tribulations. That, it's not because he's a cool super Christian, it's because that's Christianity. Christianity is hoping in the glory of God and rejoicing in tribulations. Tribulations. Rejoicing in them. I thought about my life. I thought, man, I mostly whine in tribulations. Mostly. I mean, it's, it's real easy to preach this stuff, but to live it out, I mean, 
I mean, you get one degree of tribulation, you're like, dear God, the burden. Oh, suffering for Jesus. I'm afraid for our softness. Really. For how pampered we are. I'm concerned. Because Christians glory when pressings and challenges and trials and troubles come. They, They glory. They glory in them. How? There's so much more there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to unpack that in a way, later week. How? How, do, can you, how can you glory in tribulations? Because most of the time I just feel bad and sorry for myself. And I have to fight off going into like a pitiful swirl of despair. I mean, just, it's just, I mean, it's, it's pathetic. So how do you glory in the next word? Knowing. Knowing. There's knowledge. There's revelation that you have to have that will enable your heart to glory in tribulation. Well, what is that? What is the key? What's the knowledge? What's the knowing I have to know so I can glory in tribulation? Glorying in tribulation, knowing that tribulation does something for you. Tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. Here's the point. He goes, if you understand that tribulation produces something, it produces perseverance, if you know that tribulation is going to have its end and hope that doesn't disappoint, then you will comprehend this. Once you get on the pathway of entering into tribulations, God is working something in you that's bringing you to the place of hope. That doesn't disappoint. But we can't see that because we get so head down in our circumstance. We go, tribulation's happening. Why? No, come on. Is that right? That's real. He goes, know this. Tribulation produces perseverance. That makes total sense to me. If it's hard, you're working through it, it's hard, but after a while, it's not so hard. You go through the challenge, you go through the trial, you live in the trial for a while, and we know what it does? It produces endurance. Everybody wants to, to have endurance, but nobody wants to have to endure. We, we want to be perseverant, but we don't want to have to persevere. Well, by definition, that means that something is be making your path more challenging. And at the end of the age, he said, endure to the end. Those who endure shall be saved. The issue at the end of the age is who will stay in and who won't. Who will endure and who won't? Beloved, this is critical truth for the the body of Christ in this hour. Because we've got to understand that when tribulation comes, it's producing something. 
You want to give somebody an explanation? Why does God allow his, his people to go through tribulation? Here it is. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, when you're going through the trial and you're staying in there and you keep walking and you're accessing grace by faith and you keep going, all of a sudden, that has a way of rarefying your character. It boils all the impurities out. Perseverance produces character. Another way to say it is this. Perseverance, it will work into you the value system of the kingdom of God. That's it. It works it into you. (laughs) We don't like that. We want to come down in the line and get the guy to lay hands on us and I got the character of God. Hey, praise God. That's what we want. That's not how that's not Christianity. A little concern for us. We live shallow, little devil do your Christianity, and then when we need something big, we think it's going to be imparted through the laying on of hands. Beloved, that is not what the Bible teaches. It teaches you've got grace to rejoice through trials and tribulations because that will produce perseverance in you. You'll get strong. You'll have endurance through the trial. If you'll stay in it by faith and, and, and accessing the grace of God, you'll be persevering in heart. And when you stay in it and you persevere, that is going to rarefy your character. The kingdom value system will be worked in your heart. You'll have proven character. And he goes, proven character, you know what it produces? Real hope. The hope that hopes in God and not in things. The hope that hopes in the glory of God and not in the glory of me. Hope that doesn't disappoint is hope that hopes in Him. Not in some human systems. I never want to be disappointed. I'm human. I just don't like disappointments. Well, guarantee you, God wants to answer that cry of my heart to never be disappointed again. Do you know what he's going to do? He's going to order up some really juicy tribulations for me. Am I making this up? I mean, this is real, right? This is what the Bible says. You know what the beautiful thing is? If I can get my hope to the place where I'm hoping in God and not in some system of man or some in, you know, some f- falsity, some, you know, churchianity, you know, Western Christian, whatever. But if I can get to where I'm hoping in God, he goes, that hope, it won't disappoint. He goes, you'll have expectations that will always get met because they've been cleansed. They've been changed. Because you're not hoping in man and hoping in your own success and hoping in your retirement account. You're hoping in God. And ultimately, all you care about is His glory. And when you can live there where you say, I'm hoping in the glory of God, it doesn't really matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter if it goes great 
it goes bad. Whatever life you want me to lead, Jesus. Whatever life will make you look the most brilliant. Because I'm getting down to this place where I believe that those that are poverty stricken and they're persecuted and beaten, yet they've got love in their heart and joy in their countenance are far more glorifying the Lord than what we're mostly producing in the West. I'm not trying to shame us. I'm just saying I think we need to get reality. I thank God for the church in the West. I thank God for what he's done in gospel proclamations through the nations, through the church in the West. But beloved, at times I wonder if we believed a different gospel. Am I communicating? He goes, I'm going to take you to the place of hope that doesn't disappoint. Well, you know what doesn't disappoint equals satisfied. The opposite of not disappointed equals satisfied. He goes, I'm going to take you to the place of satisfaction. Satisfaction. How? Why? He goes, because of love. Because the love of God has been poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And here's what he's saying. He goes, you've been given a down payment by the Holy Spirit. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. And you've experienced the love of God poured out in measure in your heart. He goes, the hope that you have that's rarefied through through, uh, uh, perseverance and, and character, that's godly character, the real hope that comes out of that, that hopes in the glory of God, he goes, I can guarantee you that that hope will be fulfilled because he's already given you a down payment of the Holy Spirit. He goes, every desire, every hope, every longing, all the aches on the inside, he goes, you'll never be disappointed. How do I know that? Because love doesn't disappoint. He goes, you're going to move into hope that doesn't disappoint. Because love doesn't disappoint. You know what he's trying to take us to? Fulfillment in love. Total fulfillment in love. Completely fulfilled all of our dreams. Completely fulfilled all of our desires. Here's our problem. We don't understand the process. We misunderstand the process. We think those that are going through tribulation are somehow cursed. Those that are going through trials somehow they don't have enough faith. But he says, I'm bringing you to the place of fulfillment and love. He goes, therefore, I must take you through the process. Let's start at point one. Tribulations. I don't know about you, but how often have I misunderstood the dealings of God in my life, believing Him to be absent and negligent with me, when all the while He was just trying to bring me to the place that my soul longed for to be all along. Misunderstanding that difficulties were going to give me endurance. And endurance was going to change my character. And from there, my vantage point would shift. And I could hope, really hope, in God. And ultimately never experience disappointment. 
but no love to the full. See, because that's actually what my heart longs for, is to be completely satisfied in love. I just haven't understood the starting point. Tribulations. Oh, beloved. Let's go through this for a few weeks, huh? Oh, I just want Jesus to be glorified. Let's just stand. I'm just struck with how much I've made my Christianity about me and not about him. And how beautiful it is, the soul that stands under tribulation at peace with joy and a heart that's alive. how foreign I actually feel from that idea. But how much I want it. We've made it about us. But I want to rejoice in hope of His glory. I want to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That no matter how I live my life, whether I abound or whether I'm abased, whether they know my name or whether (laughs) I live in hiddenness in a wilderness all the days of my life. That Jesus would be so exalted. I want to hope in your glory, Lord. I want to hope in the glory of God. I'm going to rejoice in that hope. I'm going to rejoice. Glory and tribulations. God, I I fear we've bought into falsities. We've we've bought things that are not true because of our desire to be personally benefited. We've come to the cross for its benefits, but not for its death. We've come to the cross with the hope of our own exaltation without actually getting on it ourselves. <sighs> by life or by death, you'd be glorified, Jesus. You'd be glorified. I want to live liberated in hope of the glory of God. Oh, that you'd be glorified. Be beautiful through me, God, whatever happens. (laughs) Be beautiful through my life, God. 
regardless of what happens to me. Be beautiful through me, God. Come, Holy Spirit.